Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Coral Chihuahua for our spring season. Although in the Northern Hemisphere, this is less spring and more... Uh, more sort of grey winter really it's not spring in the southern hemisphere either so it's not really our spring season at all but there you go here we go again um i live in york and this episode is just me meeting up with three chums uh, to tell me about completely different things i suppose maybe connected in a way uh, but we're going to meet susan young teaches singing at the university of york uh, tj callahan ex-student to talk about shape notes singing and first of all roderick williams who gave a Almost life-changing concert with uh, pianist Christopher Glynn in the Jack Lyons concert as part, concert hall as part of a York concert series last night. Just fantastic. Um, broad range of repertoire um, from different perspectives. Um, but the big thing was that he gave the, the first performance of Jeremy Sam's new translation, isn't enough really, but translation of Dichterliebe, which Roddy and Chris have just recorded and they're going to release next year. And as it isn't available yet, uh, but they have form in the singing in English, Stürmische Morgen, uh, or Stormy Morning, from their CD of the whole of Winterreise in English, or Winter Journey, as their CD has it. The jagged forks of lightning have ripped the sky in two. The thunder clouds are boiling, a proper witch's brew, a proper witch's brew. The clouds collide together, a crash of black and red. It's just the kind of weather that's raging in my head. I love the mad confusion in everything I see. It's winter pure and simple. It's winter pure and simple, untamable and free. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning at expenses. And very as, much. As you used Where to do say. I sign? <laughs> this is kind of you. This is very kind My of you. My pleasure. Um, did you sleep? Yes, I did, yes. Did yes, you have no all problem. those words, the versification running through your head? I did. I woke up to Brown is my love but graceful by Quilter going through my head. <laughs> That's one of the songs I got right as well. <laughs> Does that have anything to do with Negro Sun? Is that the same sentiment? No, no, I think it's just to do with um, um, uh, 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 my loved one having, being lower class, having to work outside. So all the people who, right. who were upper class, of course, like Elizabeth I, terribly white and terribly pale and I'm just saying well my love's uh, you know a bit darker but she's quite nice yes <laughs> Rud- ruddy ruddy exactly words. yes white, exactly white hands yeah well welcome to Call Chihuahua oh thank you very much it's such a thrill to be, to uh, be back on well I should the first question I should ask on behalf of your, your singing teacher how's the speaking <laughs> voice how's the speaking voice fine thank you no problems at all <laughs> yeah he, at a wedding I think we were both at a few years I hadn't seen him he used to give me lessons as well. I don't think he would shout about that quite so much. But um, And I hadn't seen him for several years. And from one end of the pudding queue came this voice, how's the singing going, Robert? <laughs> I didn't feel I could let him down. The lovely David, he just turned 70. He turned 70 last year, in actual fact. Right. Yeah, so um, 
And every time I go to a sing lesson with him, I come away feeling 10 foot tall. I think I can sing anything. Mm. It's an effect that lasts all the way to the tube station. <laughs> and then I begin to wake up and think, oh, actually, no, no, no I'm, I'm still me. But he's fantastic. I shall book myself in this year, definitely. David Pollard. David Pollard, yes. And uh, teaches one of ours, in fact, um, who either goes down or has lessons with him on Zoom, was really insistent that he would have lessons oh, with David while, while studying. Great. It was, it was York or Conservatoire. Yes. He are drinking hot water. Hot water, yes. Which has been your drink of choice for quite a while. Yeah, decades now. And it, it led me to ask, I mean, I, I saw you for part of yesterday, preparation period, but what is, your, what is your day on the day of a concert? That's a full, full evening singing. There's no one to hide behind. Possibly the pianist. <laughs> Christopher Glynn, you were performing yes, last yes. night. He was exceptional last night. He Fantastic. really was. And what do you do, what don't you do on the day of that much singing? Um, I don't do too much exercise, I've worked out, because that's not very good for me. I don't swim in a swimming pool with chlorine in it, because I, I did that once, didn't work out very well. Um, uh, so, um, actually, I tend to just sort of stew. I, I try not to have too many routines, because if you find yourself in a situation where you can't do your routine, for whatever reason, say your, your tax is late, for example, and, and you find yourself without time and you, it, without the time to do your lucky thing... Mm-hmm. then you'll go on stage feeling horribly unlucky and you, you will get inside your own head and, and screw it up for yourself. So, therefore, I don't particularly have routines. I don't like to sing too much on the day. To quote a dear friend of us, I might lose my sweetness. Yes, uh, your sweetness. <laughs> so I try not to sing too much. And, and I like the idea that, that um, in most other groups or, or whatever choirs, on the day of a concert, you might rehearse the whole programme through. Well, with me in a recital, if I'm having to rehearse on the day of a show, it's too late. So all I'm doing is just getting a feel for the acoustics of the place. My lovely pianist will be working out whether the piano's a friend or a foe. Well, yes, coming to play with a different instrument. Exactly, yes. Which notes buzz, whether the sustaining pedals stick, all that sort of stuff. And, um, and then we just get the feel of the, of the room. I might check one or two songs for memory purposes, the ones that are frightening me. And hopefully that's about it. And then I just try and shut up, actually. Um, I, I try not to, to say too much so that when I get to the concert, um, I, can, I, I can start with fresh tools. And, and for me, a con- concert recitals divide into two. The ones where at the end I think, oh, I've got enough voice for several encores. And the ones where by the interval I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? So um, and it's often to do... I wondered a long time whether that was to do with having spoken too much in the day, having sung too much, mm. or, or whatever. I, I assumed it was all my fault. And then I realised, actually, as I got older, maybe it's less about me and more to do with the acoustics of a room. And sometimes I, I, can, I can sing somewhere and, and feel amazing by the end. And it's because um, uh, I've, you know, I've just been singing in a, in a very friendly acoustic. I get enough back coming back to me that I don't have to push. That's one thing that occurred to me as you were starting. I mean, you, you, you talked to us last night. You talked um, about the particular things you do with language. But the Lions, although it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fairly friendly hall in some ways, it's not exactly gemütlich, is it? It's not... <laughs> you think of the, that famous picture of Fogel who sang... Yes, yes, music, she was, And yeah. people are, are practically touching his, his coat. They're, yes. they're so, so close. It's basically a glorified drawing room. Yeah. And the intimacy possible there is something that presumably you're, you know, you love to deal with, but sometimes it's a thousand, I mean, a thousand seater. Do you, do you ever get really small halls? Uh, sometimes in the, in, in for what you might describe as house concerts, glorified house concerts, you might get them. I sang at the very beginning of the year, this year. The first concert I did was a Winterreiser in a small converted barn down in, in deepest Devon, right in the middle of Devon. And that was lovely because I felt I could um, uh, make contact, not eye contact, contact. With anybody, certainly not eye contact. <laughs> no, you're not eye contact. You're a British singer, for goodness' sake. <laughs> As I look at my shoes for the show, for the show. No, I do actually like making eye contact with everybody in the room, and it's very easy when when there are I don't know fifty, maybe yeah, maybe fifty maximum people in the room. I feel I have a by the end of it, I, I have a close personal relationship with each one of them, and I do enjoy that. And in halls that get bigger, you know, by hundreds or more. Um, uh, I then just take that feeling I have for the people in the front row and expand it out to the back. I may not be able to see the features of the people in the back row, but I'm imagining they're still, you know, we're st- we've still got some, some dialogue going. You were talking to some A-level students from Huntington School 
Um, gosh, they had 13 of them yeah, over the two years. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. And they were asking about singing in the, in the Albert Hall. And you were, yeah. you were talking about looking at the people just really close to you and assuming that everyone else was having yes. a similarly yes. good time. That is quite right. The last time I did a prom, so this, this summer just gone, I went upstairs at the end of the... Um, uh, uh, I, was, I was only involved in the first half. And I went upstairs um, afterwards and uh, listened from the gods... And it's a very different experience up there because people have brought picnics <laughs> and they're lying on rugs. They were literally, this is the, the Hulse planets. And there were some people pressed up against the railing looking down to this speck on stage that was the, the, um, yes. the orchestra. And I, I was just observing people just lying on the floor, eyes closed, just chilling. Mm. And I thought hey, that was also brilliant. But it's not, it's not what I want to think about when, I, no. when I'm st- standing there at the front. So, yeah, I do take the people in front of me, person-to-person contact, and just take that through, yeah. Now, last night you premiered, I think, um, a, a new translation. Well, translation isn't the right word, is it? But a new version um, of, of Dichterliebe. Um, by Schumann, poems by Heinrich Heine. Can you tell us about that? I mean, similar things that you said to the audience last night about why. Yes, yes. Because some people would get very hot under the collar. Yes, indeed. I, and I do enjoy it when people get hot under the collar. Um, so this version is, is by Jeremy Sams, and he loves his song. He's always loved song. And he's, of course, he, <laughs> this is, this is, he happens to have grown up with a German leader, all the Schubert song cycles and what have you. But also, of course, he's a great Francophile, so he's brilliant in his French. I think he's just generally brilliant, and we'll just leave it there. I love singing in English because um, I have immediate contact, um, as I've just been describing. So there's eye, eye contact to begin with, but then you've got to keep that going over a period of you know two hours or whatever it is, or an hour for a cycle, a Schubert cycle. Um, and I can see when I'm singing in German to an English audience, if they've left the translations behind on their, on their knees, um, then there's a dip in concentration. It's from about the fifth or sixth song of Winterreiser, for example, all the way up until just short of Der Leierman, when they all perk up and think, I think this is the last song. Yes. It's almost the end now. Um, and I, when I sing it in English, I have contact with them the entire way through. And it's, it, it, it's interesting because I had someone say to me just recently, an audience member say, oh, I don't listen to the words, she said, and this is about me singing in, in, in a foreign language. Oh, she said, I don't listen to the words, I just, I just concentrate, I love the music, I just concentrate on the music. I think, yeah, that's fine, and that is great, and that's how I access a lot of music as well. But the composer didn't start by thinking, this is a fantastic poem, I'll write some music and they can sing it to Lars. You know, the composer was thinking, when I set this word, when I set this image, I'm going to write this shape of melody because I want that to, I want that to illuminate this, this phrase, this idea. And you taught me that through the, the magical composers that we sang in the Fagiolini, you know, the, the idea of a specific word painting and then also <laughs> the painting of, of images and emotions and thought. So it's either very, very detailed or a little bit more general, or then the whole piece could be about a feeling. Um, and if you're just going to paint a feeling, then, then go for a tone poem, an orchestral tone yeah. poem. That can give you a feeling or, or what have you. Or, so uh, for me, the text is absolutely a part of the piece. I mean, it was almost, it was almost um, um, a performance. It was almost a piece of theatre last night, yes. which yes. it should be. I mean, there was what I loved. There were some student singers who sang before you, and two of them were Indonesian. Yes, and yes. They use their hands more than yes. English singers would because it's, it's in their culture. We have quite a lot of Chinese students Namaste. and they use uh, hands and, uh, in a similar way. Um, and you were almost sort of explaining. It was that sort of, if you don't understand, there's no point. <laughs> it, yes, yes. It, it, it wasn't that you were selling it to us. It was, it was the, the, the way you did everything. Do you see, do you see, the, do you see the point that if she doesn't do this, then I can't? Yes. Exactly, and that was so. It was so clear. So the, the hand on the piano thing. I'm now perfor- performing a sacred behemoth of. What is the stress on behemoth? Behemoth. 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 <laughs> Let's go for moth. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm performing some sacred work that must not be touched. Yes. Instead, yes. it became. Oh, I'm getting to cliche, Lana, but it became a real living thing, and one simply couldn't turn off. And when you got to the rosa di lili di da, with the birds and the bees and the yes, it, be- yes. it became the it became yeah. rawly immediate. Yeah. And 
and that thing about some classical music that it is a sacred thing and this is yeah. the one that goes oh, I like this yes. one it's a run oh I like this one yes, yes exactly exactly um, that and, and some people I, I think possibly myself included one doesn't always want to be reminded yeah. that there are quite difficult texts underneath I mean you preface the performance of Dichterliebe saying is this actually healthy in a yeah. mental health yeah. sort of yeah. way yes and it's not is it yeah. and if you look at anyway Robert Schumann's history yes that wasn't unhappy yes life yes. in many ways Abs- absolutely right and everything you've just said is it, it i feel to be entirely true literally everything about the performance about the meaning of the words about mental health issues and imagine hearing being a german speaker hearing hearing it in german yes. i mean you were getting all of that immediately first hand i suspect i suspect i don't know but i suspect that a lot of performers of leader are happy to take a sort of objective view where they just they just sing it at face value they don't allow themselves to get too emotionally involved in the piece because this is this is after all art song one doesn't want to get involved um but because i have an operatic training as well and really just because i'm interested in 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 people in feelings and emotions i'm interested in accessing accessing that that's what i want to uh, 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 put across um I think also this, actually, it's quite cathartic for me because I, I live a very um, blessed, safe, easy, wonderful life. I'm gripping the wood of the table as I say yes. this because I'm about to step out and be run over by whatever. Anyway, you heard it here first, everyone. Um, but I, I live a charmed life and, and, and my family is, is, generally speaking, happy. We're in a good place. So for me... Um, accessing some of these darker pieces of music, as I have done all through my life, and, and the operas I've been in, I've, I've accessed some really bad people. I, I remember watching in The Rape of Lucretia when you were a student. That yes, was yes. pretty terrifying. That wasn't the Roddy I knew. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? Acting. Yes, acting, darling, acting. But wasn't it interesting to, to, to see, you know, what would it be like to see Roderick Williams, you know, fall off the, uh, fall off the perch? And see the guy we know, but, oh, he's such a nice man. Oh, he's a nice man, big smile, you know. Well, you know, look at this, baby, you know. <laughs> let me take the mask off and let me show you our... You know, sometimes my wife says, if only they knew, she says darkly. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, love, I, I love in song recitals being able to use pieces of music to go to places like that, some really dark places. The, the, the poet of the poet's love is, is deeply troubled. And, and, you know, there are some songs I think this chap needs help, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to Ich Grollnicht. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll leave the, the translation for people to, to, to buy the CD, which comes out in, I think... Uh, in, in, in about a year's time from now. January, yeah, yeah, yeah spring, of, spring of 24. In Sam's in in choice of, of the text and, and words that we use in everyday conversation, there was a sort of, you can't use that in Lieder. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and you suddenly realise, but no, but that's that's what it's about. I mean, my friend Claire Pelly, who helps Fagellini with with um, poetry choices, she'd be annoyed at me for saying that because, of course, poetry is life. Poetry is about the the very fun. But but we as musicians, we tend to, we are drawn to the music because, of course, we are. Yes, but also imagine imagine in listening to an English text as it comes past, thinking, oh, that word's a bit naff. I don't think you can use that. Like, for example, Vaughan Williams leaving the word football out of Wenlock Edge, because you can't write football in an art song. Mm. Imagine, as a German speaking, being able to have the same reaction to the poetry of Heinrich Heine or Wilhelm Müller in the, in the Schubert cycles and go, huh, that word's a bit naff. Or, is he going to rhyme Herz with Schmerz again? Yes. And, uh, and all this sort of stuff. And we have that in English, but we don't have that in other languages. So we just imagine it's highfalutin when we hear it. Especially but, with Italian or Roman languages. Yes, well. yeah. yes. I imagine, mm. I imagine sometimes when you hear... Um, uh, English translations of Italian bel canto opera. You think, oh, that sounds a bit like Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, the Italians who understand English said, no, this is this is not real poetry. This is the, like Gilbert and Sullivan, you know. <laughs> so the, the, that's what's going on. But they just they just access it immediately. That's what it's all about. Really, we literally, yep. literally going to have to run to the station. <laughs> but choose a track to play. We've had Dermish Morgan as a way in uh, to play you out. Oh, I would love to go back once a year. I'd love to stay within uh, uh, Winterreiser and I'd love to give you the Linden Tree.
Schubert's Der Lindenbaum, or in Jeremy Sam's translation, The Linden Tree, sung by Roderick Williams uh, and Christopher Glynn, who performed last night in York concerts. What an event that was, the sheer liveness of it. I'm interested to have the recording when it, came, when it comes out, but it just reminded me how there is just nothing that replaces live music. The Leonardo says music isn't as good as the other arts. He says it's very good, but the trouble is it just dies away straight away, and I think that's its, its very charm. Um, walk to the station uh, with Roddy, back past the, the old cholera burial ground, and I'm now in a church, York full of old churches, but this one in the St Mary's Tower, which is dating from the 10th and 11th century, which is hard to beat, although it says that it, it was based on 
a 7th century buildings that themselves used Roman stone. And we talk about that as the Dark Ages. Wow, well, there's York for you. Uh, and I'm joined by a former student, TJ Callahan, who did the Masters in Solo Voice Ensemble Singing here last year. So you know this building well because we rehearse here, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, often with coffee. Uh, and cinnamon buns, but I'm already on my second coffee of the morning. I can see this show is going to get faster and faster. (laughs) More and more more coffee. Um, And you just happen to be in York this week, although you're studying in Baltimore at the moment at the Peabody Institute. Yes, that's right. I'm getting a master's in uh, early music performance right now, but I have my graduation this week, so I'm here to uh, collect my degree, and then I head back for more classes. Now, I'd love to tell people you're a countertenor, but it's pretty clear <laughs> you're a bass. Brian Kay used to, I mean, you're sitting there with a wonderful red beard, and Brian Kay used to describe countertenors as the one who grow beards and pass around pictures of the children. But uh, you're very definitely a, a, definitely a bass. Um, and you're, you're passing through, but I remember a presentation you did about shape note singing. And I just, I just thought I'd grab you while you're here to talk about this. But first of all, let's just hear a little bit of it. I don't think it could be much further away from the, the refined sensibilities of, of Schubert, or is it, part of the conversation we've just been having with Roddy. But let's just listen to a bit, and what is it? Yeah, so we're going to be hearing the hymn Wayfaring Stranger, uh, sung by a Sacred Harp group in Ireland. So that is the uh, Ireland Sacred Harp Convention. Um, It's not really a performing group per se, but um, it's by far the most common context in which you will hear this kind of music, which is a community singing that anyone can show up to, and um, they all bring kind of the same book, and uh, you just, they sing people's favorites all day. And there they are on that YouTube clip there, in four distinct groups in a cross, with um, timekeepers in the middle, but lots of people are beating the time, and that... I just always interested in sort of American music, in that so many of the immigrants at that time came from from England and had their traditions. I mean, I always think about the the accent, the the R that you have in American was supposed to be in English at the time, um, and supposedly singing in groups, people would beat time. Uh, if you're singing polyphony, you kind of have to because you're singing from a part book. Now that isn't polyphony, but. If the practice is to beat time so everyone knows where everyone is, because you can't see the score, that's, that's clearly 400 years later still there. But what is, I mean, you've talked about the book and you showed this in your presentation. What is shape note singing? Yeah, so the term shape note singing sort of has two, uh, refers to two concepts. The first is the style of notation that was invented in the early 19th century in America to help teach people to sight read. And it's just kind of what it says on the tin. It's Uh, small shapes used instead of the normal oval note head um, that corresponded to solfege syllables and the idea was that it would make it easier to sight read the music. So those are are the pitches? Yes, um, it's actually a four syllable solfege system that was inherited from England um, and uh, it's so instead of do re mi fa sol la ti do it's fa sol la fa sol la mi fa and um, the the shapes uh, refer to the syllables. And how's how's the rhythm transcribed? Uh, it's the same uh, way as modern music notation, so it's just 
um, abnormal quavers and crotches and things like that. Now, the, the tune there was not in the top. Anyone who's sung um, barbershop music, by which I don't mean generally close harmony singing, but specifically barbershop, as defined by Spebsquissa, the Society for Protection and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing <laughs> in America. I remember learning that one in my teens. Um, barbershop singing has the tune in what they call the lead, which is the second line down of four blokes, uh, or four women in women's barbershop singing. Then there's a bass line that... that puts us a root to the harmony underneath that. Then there's a top line that uh, sort of has a semitone line, yeah, da, 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 just fiddling in. And then, then the really awkward part to sing is the, the remaining part that has to sing all the remaining, the remaining notes. So that's Barbershop, which some many people know. Here you've got the tune in the third line of Four Down, an SATB group. Um, what are the characteristics of the other part, apart from the, the other parts, apart from the fact that it's, it's very homophonic, it's chordal? Yeah, so like you said, the melody is almost always in the tenor part, and with that, there is some exchange of voices between the soprano and tenor, so the tenor part will be doubled by some sopranos, and also the soprano part, the highest part, will be doubled by some tenors. It's largely the same as other four-part music. The the bass line obviously provides the root of the chord most of the time um, and provides the harmonic structure for the piece. Uh, the soprano line is usually a high harmonization of the tenor line. And then, um, like with other choral music, the awkward part is the alto part, which usually just fills in the note that no one else is taking care of. <laughs> so they have to be clever, the altos. When you did your presentation, you showed us a book of shape note singing, a very famous book of shape note singing. Yeah, so the book that's most commonly used is referred to as the Denton Sacred Harp, um, which is the, the publisher. Um, the... Sacred Harp is the name of, of the book, and there are a few different versions of it, but it's been in continuous use since it was first published in the 19th century with only a handful of revisions. And um, that is the, the thing that allows these community singings to take place because everybody can kind of show up with the same book and someone just shouts out a number and everyone turns to that page and then you're off to the races. But if, if it was printed in, I think you said, the early 19th century, I presume these songs have been singing for a long time before that. Yes, um, this style of singing uh, certainly emerged in the uh, 18th century, the, it, what we now refer to as the first New England school of, of, of composing. Um, but yeah, so this kind of singing was certainly around before then. And actually, when the book was published, sacred harp singing was already kind of falling out of favor in the Northeast in favor of... Uh, prevailing interest in European classical music. Um, but in the South, it never, it never fully died out. Um, Isn't that so often the way that publishing comes in as late, oh, we better keep this then? But these books still, still use today, as you mentioned. People just call out the numbers. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, it's, um, it's only sort of a historical performance kind of lens. It's very much a living tradition. People are still writing music that is included in the newer updates of the Sacred Harp. Um, the 1991 book has pieces in it that were written in the 80s. They're, they're kind of written to mesh in with the style of the book. And um, in addition, there are shape note style books still being published today. There are 21st century books, um, such as one that comes to mind is called High Desert Harmony that was just published a few years ago. Possibly a stupid question, but is there a secular side to this? Are there ever secular texts sung by these choirs? Not that I know of. It very much um, it, it has its basis in the church. And, um, so it's not related to folk singing in any way, but it, there, is a, there is a folksy human quality to it that anyone can take part. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I see, you could hear children talking in that, in that recording there. The whole family's turned up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very much... Um, Certainly, it's been kind of swept up in the, in the larger folk revival movement in, in, that started in kind of the mid-20th century in America. And, um, I mean, I've been to shape note singings that have had people from all walks of life. It's not all, it's not all church people. Um, but I do, I, I won't say for sure, but I'm fairly certain that virtually all of the music is sacred. When, I mean, you're going to play us another track in a minute, but I think whenever one comes to a new style of music, one always hears the noise it makes before the music itself and the sound for me of this next one is a very, very strong twang to it, which is partly just a lot of people doing that American accent uh, at the same time. If it's now specifically related with the South, does therefore Southern American, Southern North American shape note singing have a slightly different sound? Is it different in different parts? Yeah, yeah, I think that's very much part of the style. Like, 
it's it's very much folk music. You know, they say it's there's no mistakes in folk music. So people do a lot of kind of sliding and and uh, uh, creative movements between their notes. And um, I think that the the way that it's kind of shouted is very much an integral part of the singing style. Um, because here you are as a conservatoire student and you're taught how when you access the top of the voice that you just turn it slightly and, I mean, you talk about it shouting, but people just take their chest voice, their modal voice, all the way up and carry on and reach the top note in that voice in a sort of way that you can when the adrenaline is flowing. Yeah, they certainly do. And, in fact, as a, as a you know, classical musician, I say that making, making finger quotes, but... Um, you really have to be careful with how you sing this kind of music. Uh, and uh, that's kind of why I, I chose to play something that was from a community singing rather than from a studio recording. That's, uh, it's very rare that people kind of will record it for an album as professionals. Um, and I think it's a more honest uh, representation of the music to hear, you know, just people in the community doing it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very intense way, a way of performing for sure. <laughs> Now we're going to hear another piece now from the Shape Note album by the Tudor Choir, and you know the director. This is a choir you sung with Doug Doug Fullington. Yeah, Doug Fullington is um, is based out in Seattle, which is where I lived before I moved to England, and um, yeah, he's been involved in the in the choral scene there for a, quite a long time, and is also an expert in historical ballet notation. A historical ballet notation. Wow, a choreography. Yeah, all this kind of thing. Oh yes, uh, well, quick niche point. Uh, Maybe that's another episode, but uh, very interesting that the choreographer was valued above the poet and the musicians in late 16th century central Italian courts, um, and that the choreographer would write the steps first, then the musician would set the music, and then the poet would come along last. This is according to Catherine Bosey, um, who who told me this is a complete opposite of what you think about late 16th century writing. Mm. But that's just a long subordinate clause. Now, (laughs) when I hear this track... Uh, this is this is what I have in my ear as a sort of sound picture. It's a very very bright sound, and we talked about whether it's shouting or not. It's certainly a very harmonic, richful sound. So the vowels are incredibly incredibly bright in the way the barbershop chords are, and a lot of folk singing, uh, choral folk singing, is. It's a very attractive sound. Yeah, that's the reason that I like singing it and listening to it so much. Is that there's something about the way that it is sung that makes the when something's really in tune it's extra satisfying because there's so much harmonic content in the noise that you're making let's just slightly unpick that because it just sounds like a clever thing to say but there's the difference between an ah and an ah which is not i mean what is a vowel a vowel is the reinforcement of certain harmonics in this in the sound so from you think that sound is just getting brighter, but actually what's happening is that certain resonant frequencies of the sound up at the top are getting picked up. And this music is very, very full of that. So this, this track? This track is called Schenectady, um, which... Just say that again, it's so interesting. <laughs> Schenectady, which is a small city in upstate New York, uh, which is what I assume that it's named after. Like in you know your New English hymnal, there are a lot... The tradition was to kind of name the tune after where it was composed. Um, and it's by a composer also from that first New England school uh, named Nehemiah Shumway. Great to see you again, TJ. Thanks very much. No problem.
the Tudor Choir and Doug Fullington, with I think TJ singing on that from a song called Skenek Taddy or Shenek Taddy. I think he said Skenek Taddy, didn't he? Anyway, he's gone now. Um, I'm no longer in the church. I had a very happy two hours teaching there immediately after he finished with my MA group and we talked about uh, Lassus and Andrea Gabrielli and then sang some Poulenc, as you would. And I've cycled up the hill to the music department where I spend a lot of my time. And I'm here with my colleague, Susan Young, who came here first as a singing teacher a few years ago. But you're now very much on the staff and at the centre of all things vocal. Welcome to Choral Chihuahua. Or welcome to my office. Thank you very much. It's actually my 10th anniversary this month in York. We should have cake. Cake and champagne. Lots of cake and lots of yeah. bubbles, yes. So it's slightly weird looking at you here with a large picture of Eamon Dugan. <laughs> behind you I don't know why you had to pull that face um but he's not here today no and it's just me and this is this is our little trawl through a York morning where literally I've met Roddy and then TJ done a bit of teaching you've been teaching all morning your yes. MA students this morning yes predominantly MA and a little bit of undergraduate so and three of your students sang most beautifully at the beginning of the concert last night and while Chris um Chris played for them uh, and that was rather special. As always with you, music I didn't know. That was Schumann, wasn't it? It was Yes, yeah. Schumann, uh, In der Nacht from the Spanish Liederspiel. With with two two singers. And they yes. had their sort of they were slightly side on to each other. Always that lovely element. I don't know whether your idea or there, but the point is they'd really thought about what the piece was about and what a good way it was to present it. I think I'm going to have to give credit there to Chris, to Chris Glynn. I think it might have been his idea to have them slightly facing outwards. It's We're thinking the same thoughts on perhaps opposite sides of the world or, you know, we're both looking at the same moon, wishing we were under the same moon at the same point together, that, that thought of connecting two lovers. Now, one of the um, one of the lovely things about being in a music department is that you can just constantly knock ideas off each other, usually over coffee or five minutes between sessions. I'm running to something and you're running to something else. Um, we talk about technique, which I really don't know very much about and which is obviously you know a lot about. I mean, your your background is, I mean, you sung at ENO. You've done a lot of contemporary opera roles. You've created some roles, but you're also heavily involved with leader. Oxford Leader Festival is... Uh, your stamping ground you were involved in the setting up of that um but the students you get here are are very much at the beginning of things but of course they're not really they've been in music for such a long time and they know a lot of music maybe they don't know the same music that you and I knew when they're growing up but they have the intraweb net and they they have access to so much music but a large amount of them are involved in choir singing and the issue that I know Eamon's very uh, taken with is how can one sing well in a choir and I've ooled you in here because <laughs> no, I want here I want three <laughs> points from you madam three, three points from you because we have a lot of conductors that listen to this I say a lot five and they're all friends of Eamon but <laughs> they they would really like some some useful things for conductors for choral conductors to know that they might not have thought about before. And I don't mean, oh, you should put your tongue in this position when you're no. singing that, but what things do you think out there that conductors just start with as a as an, a starting place that there might perhaps be another view on? Because it's terribly important for young singers to sing well in a choir, I think, and not to start with, you should be making this noise, but, ah, that's the noise you make. How can we draw that into our choir? Mm. So give me a thought. When a singer stands in front of me for the first time, say a new student, I'm really all ears, all eyes. What am I gleaning from this experience? And a large amount of technical things come down to the way they are using their breath or the way they their natural breathing pattern is, which may or may not be optimal for singing. I remember a vocal coach and rehab rehab specialist, um, Dane Chalfin, that I worked with um, mm-hmm. over, over some of the lockdowns. And I think he's, his words were something around 60 to 70% of all of the issues that you're hearing with your singers will come down to some kind of breath. So one of our things was breath is fundamental. Now that's interesting because 
I know some singing teachers say, well, what's the whole thing about breath? Why don't you just breathe? And I suppose the point there is that's great if you're breathing well to start with. But yes. we get a lot of young singers here who come up with, you know, different stages of personal development and personal issues. And that's all so connected to the person. And I just worry that in a choir, because everyone has to do something in the, in the same way, that there isn't, there isn't uh, a way through that. So what would be a good you know, starting rehearsal thing to do with a choir director. Everyone's come from maybe a lesson or they've come from a business meeting maybe uh, or they've been at home on their own. What's a good way to draw people together and just to, uh, address that? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because obviously we're, we're coming from so many different experiences and then bringing everyone together in the same space. So it would be something akin to a mindfulness exercise or something you might recognize from a meditation, something that can bring people back to their body and understand that their instrument, their voice sits within their body and their body's experience of that day, how well they've slept, what they've eaten, all the rest of it. And so, I can I can hear people turning off in dread yeah, I, know, I, I don't come too. to call ch- I, I don't want so to come sorry but guys it really is this important because everyone's you know if, if you're if, if you if your singing is your voice and yeah. and you and where you've come from if you've had an argument with your partner mm-hmm. that way that day then how do you let go of that and I suppose just breathing together is a start the inhalation through the nose is a really key thing. Now, even if when the singers start singing and they don't feel comfortable to allow the breath into the body through the nose only, if you can at least do a meditation, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, centering exercise where you breathe in through the nose and then you breathe out through the mouth, and it's longer, so the out breath is the longer breath. It's the inhalation through the nose, which uh, excites the olfactory nerve, which actually helps in our calming and balancing systems. I've just read a book, I think we've read the same book, or you'd read it before, called, is it called Breath? Just Breath. It's about how society keeps forgetting about breathing through the nose and then relearns it again and then forgets it because there's no big pharmaceutical money in learning to breathe well. No. It, and it's, oh, well, we don't... It's a very good book out there called Breath. And it's, it's not for singers, but if you want a shortcut, read the last 10 pages where he sums it all up. Yeah. And also it's in Caroline Williams' book called Move, which explains why the group activity of singing but also dancing and everything the movement and the breath together and the collective feeling of rhythm together is so important for our physical mental well-being as well as just for our learning yeah now i can imagine that some people go to choirs because they want to avoid any sort of movement at all you you want <laughs> I, you know, and I put my hand up here. I, I like getting other people to do it, but whether I'd want to be doing it. Um, but if the, the safe thing about the breath is we're all doing it anyway. So doing it together and just taking some time to reset at the beginning. Reset. Of the some of the least effective rehearsals I've had are when I go straight in and do the music. And at that, that acceptance that people may have had a difficult day and professional singers, you know, a lot of them have childcare issues. Mm-hmm. Just getting for a 10 o'clock rehearsal in the morning, they may have had a horrendous three hours already. Um, I don't tend to do singing exercises with professional singers, A, because they're better at it than me, mm-hmm. and B, because you tend to get straight onto the nose. Anyway, look, breath, but yes, you can, great. You can allow the professional singer, though, the f- a few minutes at the beginning of a rehearsal to do whatever you need to do to feel like you're in the room ready to to produce your most explorative, fun, curious work. For the basses, that's the crossword. <laughs> but that's that's their way of centering themselves. That's yeah. great. You yeah. know Hi Charles. <laughs> we all have we all have our way of breathing, but there is an optimal way which is helpful, the most helpful for singing, which is where the singing for lung health training that I did last year on the back of really feel inspired by wanting to understand more about my late father's COPD. Um, that, COPD? Uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, one of the biggest killers in the world. And 
it's it's tremendously helpful. I'm involved in a wonderful trial at the moment with looking at the effectiveness the of of singing for lung health as a as a program following pulmonary rehab so it there are so many links so the breath is is the centering thing the breath is the fuel for your sound um that's why oh, what breathing... a glorious phrase we should just finish it there the breath <laughs> is the fuel for your sound so the quality of the breath which could take you and me onto the idea of the thought before the breath. Now, totally. we sat last night not only watching your students, but also the great Roderick and Chris. Mm. And Delicious. it was almost as if he was explaining to us. It, the, it mattered. The poetry mattered so much that you could see the thought happening because the last song he sang, the toothbrush song. Oh, I love that. Was, toothbrush time. It, 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 toothbrush time, mm. right. Um, that... That started way before there was a note. There was a look on his face that caused Chris to play, that caused him... You know, the question was so obvious before it had started. And as musicians, we are we respond to notes in front of us. But as, in fact, Roddy was just saying a couple of hours ago, the, po the composer didn't start with that. The composer starts with poem or an idea. Sometimes uh, he played uh, the Caroline Shaw piece last night in which she wrote the text as well. Mm. It starts with a thought. And, and just trying to align ourselves with that process. So we're doing the same thing. And the music is kind of, no, it's not neither here nor there. Of course it isn't. Um, but it's it's part of that process. Anyway, I, mm. I seem to be talking again. Um, <laughs> have, have, you got a, have you got another thought? Another thought that will be useful for choral directors or singers in general? The gesture that you use is as really either really helpful or it can be quite startling. So anything that's... Um, I've I've experienced this, so I'm thinking of the things where I've had a conductor make quite an open gesture as they were they were almost they were breathing with me and they were breathing with an opening gesture with their arms or something, or someone who is taking a very sort of sip of a breath, a very audible breath, and then a much more um, staccato kind of movement or pointy type movement which is more arresting to watch. And uh, I think that opening and that breathing and the, the use of gesture. I remember being conducted by Seiji Ozawa many, many moons ago um, in a chorus. And his movements, his conducting was like watching someone do Tai Chi. <laughs> but it was amazing because I felt so in the flow and... That, that you it's see, liberating. The flow. for singers, I mean, uh, string flow. players would say that actually conductors have to breathe yes. as well. That really matters. My my mum used to say she'd been taught by conductor Kathleen Riddick as a mm. conductor, and she said Kathleen Riddick, for example, taught her to conduct spiccato, very legato, very very smooth. Because she said by the time you put down your down pointy beat, it's too late to react to it anyway. You have to give a line to which which people work to, um, and uh, to pinpoint it themselves. And I just find the more I watch conducting, I mean, you can always learn something from a conductor, whether it's a, mm. it's a positive or a negative, but I find the more downbeats there are, the more weighty, the, the more weighted in a bad way the singing is, and the more lumpy it is. And trying to, tr trying to produce line from the singers, line. which for Northern Europeans is so difficult because we speak in such a broken up way. I think buoyancy because you want the buoyancy and the breath and any any gesture which is in which is allowing that sort of buoyancy or that feeling of holding space creating space and inviting the 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 sound the collective sound to be in this space um they're all very welcoming, open gestures. They're inviting something. And that is very liberating. So you feel freed and to it keeps, be curious. It keeps the tone... Freed to be curious, my second album. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it keeps the, t the... The buoyancy keeps the tone moving and living. Yeah. Now, if we listen to a sort of top group like the Talis Scholars, you would be in danger of thinking that these crystalline structures that mm. they produce are static. When of course they all have fantastic, you know, fantastic mm. singers, uh, and they there's 
utterly a connection going on. They understand Peter's beat and what it means and what he wants in the music. And there's continuation. But when you listen to it, the danger is that you might think to reproduce that it's static. Mm. And this, well, OK, so point two now connects to point one, the breath, the continuation of sound, that it should always be moving. Mm. And when you are a choral singer, especially professional choral, well, any choral singer, you're trying to do what the conductor wants. And that can become a series of points and actually mm-hmm. trying to connect that. Mm. Oh, this is flow. good. Flow. Right. It's, all, it's all about flow. <laughs> breath and flow so far. Do you have a number three, Susan Young? All choirs, all singers, um, darlings. We do like encouragement because our voices are in our bodies and our bodies are connected to who we are as people. So it's very hard for us to hear things like, please don't sing that note like that. What are you thinking of? Can't you hear your flat? Um, Well, no, because my voice is in my body. So the way I hear my voice is never going to be the way that anybody else ever hears it. So thank you for pointing it out because now I'm thinking that I'm deficient in some way. And now I'm worrying about my musical ability. So how we talk to people is all. I guess, you know, one could say conductors, we know we get tired too sometimes. So... So hydrate yourselves before rehearsal. Yes. Don't come to a rehearsal hungry. That's conductors and singers. But how we talk to singers really matters. And just remember from being brought up, we never responded positively to negativity. And, and you hear horrendous things yes. about choirs. But I'm lucky enough never to be in a situation where there was uh, an abusive, in that way, choir uh, leader. But let's hope that we're all getting a little bit past that now and the sort of you know, the thing is, we want everyone to have, if, if it's a community choir or a, you know, these are people who, amateurs who've <clears throat> given up their time or even paid subscriptions to be part of it, we want a high level of um, music making, but we want that level to be enjoyable and fun. Um, and it's and, and they want to be in an environment that they can trust each other and trust the conductor. Um, there's a lot to build there with positive language and and generally you know musicians are good at positive language we've yes. lived in music for long enough to Absolutely. understand that creating that atmosphere in the room this is why musicians are so good in business they're very good at creating positive positive vibe and it is down to neuroscience it's the way our brains work the neurons fire you know they wire together the myelin sheath wraps around it makes a, a quick pathway it becomes a habit, something that we identify as, we can just do that almost without thinking. Did you say the myelin sheath? It sounds yes. like an East London pro- prophylactic. <laughs> it's myelin, and it forms like, literally like a sheath around it so the pathway can fire more quickly. That only happens if you're in a happy, trusting, content environment. As soon as you're stressed, as soon as you're threatened in some way or you're feeling under power or indeed you're bringing your stressful fight with the husband back into the rehearsal room that ability to really connect it is challenged that's just it's just how we are which is why we come back to breath because it brings you back should have been a full episode yeah (laughs) um too too interesting We'll, we'll, we'll probably come back to it because little little thoughts like that so there was the breath there was the flow and famously Gesture. Donald Donald Trump words mean something. Yes, they do. <laughs> Good. Well, look, we thought we'd end on a really positive note, which is some choral singing, preferably from early music, uh, that, uh, whatever that means, that you think sounded really healthy. I love the Gabrielli's recording of Handel's Solomon. Um, and I have to say, as a soprano at the time, that didn't sing anything of Bach or Handel, not, not, not very much. Not professionally, anyway. No, no. And in fact, I think it was around about the time that I started doing some solo work with, um, with Christchurch Cathedral. And I was going to do a John Passion with them. And for some reason, I was listening to this recording and I loved Susan Gritton's uh, performance on here it was just so rich i'm just going to genuflect yeah oh rich and gorgeous and oh the words they just i feel like they're being tasted it was lovely but this double chorus i i loved from solomon and i just i love the clarity of it and the warmth of it 
there are voices that are just heartily enjoying making music together. It's thrilling. indefatigable force that is Paul McCreish in one of the final choruses from Handel Solomon there, a Gabrielli consort and players. Well, I say consort, more sort of large double choir, actually. An interesting, um, interesting final cadence, wasn't it? Chord five, the dominant, then chord four, but with the seventh as well. Lovely little niche thing. So that's the end of this uh, first episode back. Um, hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time when I hope I will be meeting our new 
Our co-presenter, Nicholas Mulroy, tenor, great thinker about things and art, uh, as we disappeared in Norway for some concerts with Norwegian naughty boy uh, Bjarte Eike and his Baroque Solistina, who sometimes appear as the alehouse boys if you've come across them in, uh, in that guise. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.